For your information, podmates, this conversation contains sensitive content and some profanity. Magandang araw, podmates. Howie Severino muli na nagpapaalala na nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. Guest natin ngayon ay ang masasabi nating toast of the Philippine book world, si Patricia Evangelista, author of Some People Need Killing, A Memoir of Murder in My Country, a book about the drug war during the Duterte administration, published in the U.S. to rave reviews. She is currently in the United States. Magandang araw sa'yo, Patricia, and congratulations. Salamat at magandang araw rin, Howie. Give us the lowdown on how you decided on the title. I know that it's a quote from a vigilante no, na kailangan mong i-translate. No? Bakit mm-hmm. yun ang napili mong, bakit yun ang napili mong title, Some People Need Killing? Um, nag-interview ako ng vigilante noong 2018. It was the story about, allegedly, nag-outsource yung mga police ng pagpatay sa mga vigilante. At pangalawang interview ko na to with another with a vigilante um i can't give you the names but in the book they are angel and simon so si simon na to uh, it was an, a hotel room in a city i also can't name but um no in the interview ko si simon ano talaga siya eh? true believer talaga naniniwala siya na bawat patayin na addict o pusher is one less person na magse-threaten ng future ng mga anak niya sabi niya um dalawa nang napatay niya by patay siya yung humugot ng trigger pero kasama din siya sa pagpatay ng ibang tao. So, ang sabi ko, hindi ba mahirap yung trabaho mo? Kasi ang tawag niya talaga, tinrabaho. Yun yung, yun yung verb. It's a job. Tinrabaho ko. So, sabi niya, uh, wala naman siyang hindi willing gawin para dun sa trabaho. Kasi nga, importante. At uh, naniniwala siya sa Diyos. Religious siya. May anak siya. May asawa siya. Lahat-lahat. So, sabi ko, hindi ba mahirap yung trabaho? Sabi niya, eh, para lang, para do pagiging adik, parang droga, yung pagpatay. Sa simula, takot ka, pagkatapos, okay ka na. And then yun, kinuwento niya sa akin, yung paraan, yung mga kinaiinit siya niya, lahat. And then sabi ko, how do you square that with being a good person, yung pagpatay? Sabi mo, mabuti kang tao, pero pumapatay ka. Sabi niya, hindi naman ako masamang tao, ma'am. Hindi naman ako sobrang sama. May mga tao lang talaga na kailangan pati. It was an immediate translation in my head. I thought it was the starkest, bluntest way of putting what was what the narrative arc was throughout the whole war, through the logic of the story President Rodrigo Duterte was saying that some people need killing. And it meant the the operative the operative verb is not kill, it's need that they deserve to die that they earned their deaths parang ganun so that's that's what the title was there was a different working title uh that i will not tell you but um about two years before we published i i had always wanted this title and finally they allowed me so that's it some people need killing and i think it's a relevant question everywhere in the world do some people need killing because everywhere people are deciding that some people decide deserve to die Great story. Actually, I actually bookmarked that part, no, in the book. And ang translation mo, because you just said it in Filipino, no. Uh, Simon said, "I'm really not a bad guy. I'm not all bad. Some people need killing." Mm. So Simon, of course, is not his real name. 
Yes, you hold faith with your interviews, yes? So I will tell you that Simon is a killer, that Simon has a gun, but I will not tell you his name. So it's a function of faith. I have to hold faith. Uh, Pat, no, your, your book has been appearing lately on various prestigious uh, lists of best books of the year. No? A New Yorker magazine editor, David Remnick, has called it a journalistic masterpiece. No? But in, in a recent social media post, you said that you were staggered by these accolades, no? as if mm. it's all a big surprise. No, I guess you never expected all of this. No? So, Not what, at what all. Yeah, yeah, okay. So what, what, what were you expecting when you kind of hibernated for several years? To write this book, um, I I've been writing for fifteen years. I've been a trauma journalist for a long time, but this is my first book. And uh, just getting the book together, getting through fact checking, getting through editing, finding a voice for it—all of that was hell. Ang niisip ko launch date October seventeen. Tapos na. Plan ako magagawa. Kasi all the way to papasok na ng imprenta, nagtatanggal ako ng kama, nagmamakaawa ako, pwede bang i-flip yung sentence. Just to get it done was huge. So I didn't give myself room to think ano mangyayari pagkatapos other than tapos na siya. Hmm, nagbabangayan ba kayo ng editor? Uh, tsaka yung Ay, Amerikanong sobra. editor mo dyan? Yes, oo. Magaling siya. Sobrang galing niya. Uh, and mahaba ang relationship mo eh with an editor, lalo na if it's someone like me na mabagal. Um, ang pinirmahan ko na kontrata sa Random House was one year. I signed mid-2019. So, it's so, been four. One year. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> So, ang dami kong deadline na, na, na lumipad lang. ba? So, may bangayan, may, may, may major disagreements on, like, uh, minsan sasabihin niya, Pat, kailangan matigas yung sentence dito. You need a diamond hard sentence here that says exactly what you mean. I go, but I don't have the material for this. In that, I do not dare. So, sasabihin niya, napin mo yung bayan mo, di ba? So, sabihin ko, leave me alone for a week, I'll think about it. And uh, for this particular instance, I disappeared for two weeks and I came back with two chapters. Hindi ko kaya yung isang sentence, pero kaya ko yung dalawang chapter. So, I think that was chapter 7 and 8 dun sa libro. So, grabe ko pa yan. It's, it's teamwork eh. Kasi mas nakikita na yung libro more than me. Ang niblib ko eh dun sa libro. Pero siya nakikita na yung big picture. Kasi, you know, the book is over 400 pages. No? So, yung, yung original drafts ba? Mas mahaba pa dyan? Uh, yes and no. In that yung original drafts, mas, ma, mas marami yung material tungkol sa gera pero mas konti yung personal so end note it's really not 400 pages 80 pages of that end notes yan eh. you know the fact checking the notes the questions the the notes on interpretation translation mga ganung bagay hindi ko naman kasi intention na first person yung libro eh dapat third person yan the same way I've written for for the last uh, for for the years before this hindi ako willing i-hazard yung sarili ko eh, na humarap Doon. Kaya lang, contractually, I was obligated to do that. Kasi for a story this grim, the people reading need someone to hold their hand through the book. It just had to happen to be me. Mm, okay, I want to ask you about that. No? Kasi nga, uh, the book is based on your reporting for Rappler, which which I also read, no? which is 
pretty hard-nosed, no? It's classic reportage. You're an observer and generally not part of the story. But in this book, no, you're very much a part of the story. In fact, much of it is not even about the drug war. Um, yung unang bahagi dito, it's really autobiographical, no? I mean, you even start talking about sisters you never met, no? Um, so why start with yourself? Were you totally comfortable with that? Absolutely not. Uh, the first draft of the book did not have me in uh, it. When, when I proposed the book, it was in first person. Pero I thought it would be the preface. And then I could write 60, 70,000 words the way I always do. It went back to me and they said, you have to be there. Kasi may pinanggagalingan. So I come from a particular generation. The generation after the revolution of 1986. And I come from a particular perspective in the faith that human rights, uh, free speech, all of that, it's not even something you fight for. It's a given. It's something you were born with. So it was a perspective I had to establish to demonstrate the the turn towards, I guess, uh, a more autocratic sort of faith in 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 a in a higher leader. I I did this kicking and screaming for the first two years. I really really refused. It took me two years to find my voice. When I found it, I thought, "Huh, why I guess madali kasi magtago behind the professional voice." Of, of a journalist, but when you're told you don't have to or that you shouldn't, then it's it's very freeing because then you can explain why you think this way. You can break down language to, to show what it means to you and what it means to other people. And for me, although it took me a while to understand it, choosing to, to, to speak uh, like a detached third person was a failure of nerve. I'm not a detached third person. I, I wrote this both as a journalist and as a citizen. So it was necessary, I think, near the end to accept that this is this is a personal accountability as well. Of course, no, because you know, uh, producing a book like this takes a great deal of conviction, you know, which makes your the autobiographical part intriguing, no, because you mentioned that. When you were in college, uh, you didn't really have any causes, no. Despite the fact that you are UP, which is known for activism and politics and and all of that. Pero sumali ka sa sa college debate team mo because you wanted to pretend you had causes, no. You had to defend issues and argue, uh, etc. But inamin mo don na hindi ka naman talaga advocate. Eh. Uh, so when was the turning point? You know, the kind of the the nerve nga, the 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 steel that would enable you eventually to become a trauma journalist and produce a book like this? Either I was in college or just leaving college. I think I was, it was in my senior year uh, when two young women disappeared from from UP. Charlene Kadapan and Karen Empeño. I didn't understand what happened. I didn't, I couldn't believe that this sort of thing could happen to people who went to my own university, who went to my same college, who just disappeared. It was a term I couldn't reckon with, disappear. So I didn't know that the, the Arroyo government was uh, was fighting a different sort of war. And I met the mothers. I went to the court. I interviewed the man they called the butcher, Jovito Palparan. And I spent many years following this story. I think that was my turning point. The understanding that my value is on the field, because um, I'm I'm not particularly trained for anything. 
So I'm a comms major, but I like stories. I understand stories for as long as I, I know enough. And my particular contribution is to see things, to go places. Uh, I'm not an academic. I think that was my turning point. At the same time, uh, journalism's in your blood, no? As as you revealed <laughs> in, in in those early chapters, no? Because yung, yung lolo mo, yung grandfather, si Mario Chanco, was a prominent journalist for, for a long time, no? Uh, in fact, I mentioned to you privately that he was also a friend of my father. And I actually met him, uh, of course, when I was much younger. Uh, very jolly fellow, no? Um, Delightful, yeah, man. Parang, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he fits not the stereotype of the newspaper man, uh, very, you know, kind of glib and um, he knows everybody, you know. But um, you have a big reveal about him, no? Um, towards the end of the this autobiographical part, no, uh, where you discovered later on when you were already a, a journalist yourself, a principal journalist, no, no uh, that he had signed a manifesto in 1986 uh, supporting the first president, Marcos, when, you know, uh, many artists and writers and you know, activists were, were fighting Marcos, no. You know, the tone of it was you were, you were a bit disillusioned, no. Um, why was that important to write about? I think I was looking at it in terms of complicity. Na gano kalaki yung accountability natin sa bayan. And I also was trying to reckon with these choices. Kasi nagulantang din ako eh. In the end, what I understood was that my grandfather, like many other people during the Duterte regime, right before the regime, was reckoning with his own choices. He was a family man. And he made choices that he believed were best for him and best for his family. This is a book about people who make choices that are they believe at that moment is best for them and best for their families. I'm not in a position to judge any of that. But I came to my own reckoning a very long time ago to what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to stand. So um, I felt it was necessary to make that part of the book because choices are part of a book. Where we come from, who we are, are part of the book. And uh, what was interesting about my grandfather was in the context of my having to explain the sweep of history for the Philippines. Any book about the Philippines published elsewhere becomes an explainer about the Philippines. It doesn't matter what you write about. And in this case, my grandfather was something of a historian himself. So I thought to look at that history through his lens would be an interesting thing. But to deny his place in that history would also be a failure on my part. So I told the whole story. At the same time, no, inamin mo na because he chose to support the Marcos regime, uh, nakapaghanap buhay siya. And, yeah. you know, he was able to support his family. And, you, of course, you benefited from privileges emanating from that. I don't know if his choices provided my privileges now. It might have. Or it might have been because my grandmother was a phenomenal businesswoman. So it could be one or the other. But uh, it's hard to stand from a place of history and judge your own family. So for me, it was just a telling of a story. Okay, in the book, no? Um it's very brave, no, because you you named names, uh, not just not just the victims and their families, but you know, police chiefs, uh, political leaders, barangay captains. Quite clear, no, they were complicit in a lot of the you know crimes you were writing about, no. And in particular, of course, see President Duterte came under a very harsh light, no. And for many readers, your book will define his presidency. So, have you heard from any of these people you named? No. No. 
What I did uh, in the months before publication was I conducted due diligence in that I sent out letters to everyone who was accused in the book, people I had never interviewed before. If I had an interview on file and um, there was nothing different I was going to say, I didn't need the interview. Uh, but in most cases, every time there was a likely accusation of possible criminal misdo uh, wrongdoing, I sent a letter. Um, and we were very thorough. I worked with a team. Um, for example, if I was writing to a senator, I would send it by email, via courier, and then contact the office itself. So it was the same all the way to former President Rodrigo Duterte. And it's in the book. It's in the end notes of the book explaining the process by which I did it, as well as the questions that I sent. While he did, or his people did acknowledge the, 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 the request for interview, and why they, while they did ask for questions and those questions were sent, I was told that it could not fit the president, the former president's schedule. So I was satisfied at least that there was a response. Uh, and then you also wrote, for example, see Colonel Robert Domingo, who was quite, you, you called him your friend. And then you interviewed like a vigilante who, who implicated him, no? Um, is he still your friend? Again, the end notes are interesting. Uh, he was part of my due diligence. I had gone through the same process, sent the same letters, went through a number of offices. And finally, I messaged him. I think it might have been via Viber. And um, he responded. He said he's sorry that he cannot do the interview. However, he considers me his friend. He said, God bless. So I said, I will keep that on the record. So I said, thank you. So. I suspect we either have a very complicated relationship or a very simple relationship. I'm not sure which it is. There's a part there when you when you enter his office, nakaframe yung yung article mo no about about <laughs> him. So he was quite quite proud of it, no? He was pleased by it. So I'm glad for that. So since the book came out, how has your life changed? I don't quite know actually because the book was just published. I am told this is part of the process. Like um, you go on, on a bit of a tour, you speak in places, you talk about the book, I do interviews with people like yourself and in other places. It's changed because um, I like locking the door and staying inside the room. Um, I'm an introvert, so I know how to, how to do the job, but this was never the job. My job was to ask questions, not to answer them. So... Um, all of this is very strange for me. The, the, the staggering shock of it is that this one story that I thought might not matter in the context of, of, of many things happening in the world right now does matter. And I'm glad for it. And I'm a, I'm a part of the making of this story, or at least the, the, the writing of this story. That when I can breathe occasionally, uh, I think about that and, and I'm glad. I, I do hope, though, that it's honored the stories of other people. I don't know yet. The books are still getting to people who should be reading them. Uh, so have you heard from any of the families portrayed, yung, yung mga survivors ng mga biktima? But uh, the book is in process of getting to them kasi ang hirap na ipadala. And uh, I wanted it to be personal, so it had to come from here, and I had to sign them and dedicate them. So it's on its way. Uh, there are people in the book who have... Uh, contacted me and it's funny some of it thorough naman kasi yung fact check so sometimes if I thought there was a complicated thing then I would go back to them and, and read an actual line 
merong tao sa libro, uh, bumoto siya kay Pangulong Duterte. Noong 2016, grabe yung paniniwala niya. And then, um, bumaliktad siya eventually. Pero may isang linya yun. Kasi nagsiswing kami, Tagalog-English. Zoom conversations, patagal. Paulit-ulit kami. Pero may sinabi na siya na putang inang gago mga Pilipino. Something like that. Or putang inang bobo. Parang ganun. So, nung sinuot ko yung linya, malamang hindi ko pwede sabihin putang inang bobo. So, ang translation ko, uh, fucking idiots. Something like that. Nung tinawagan ko, sabi ko, sigurado ka ba na gusto mo sabihin yan? Sabi niya, sigurado siya sa sinabi niya. Pero mali yung translation ko. Fucking morons. Not fucking idiots. So, uh, umabot na yung libro sa kanya. He's one of the few na umabot na. And then, pinikturan niya yung page na yun. Tapos nag-comment siya. Kinuwento niya na tumawag ako about a year ago. Sigurado ka ba dyan? Sabi niya, puta, sigurado daw ako dyan. So, happy siya. Binalugan pa niya. <laughs> okay, well, he's one of the of the characters in the book, no? It, yes. The end, na nag, nag nagbago, no? Yung mga dat yung mga dating Duterte supporters, they you know they they think differently now. Let's put it that way, you know. Why was it important to you know profile these these people, na you know had a change of heart or or maybe saw the light, no? Uh, so to speak, no. So, ba- bakit bakit mo sinama yung part na yon? Well, in the same way that it was important to, so to speak, to humanize the people we lost. Yun naman trabaho namin sa field eh. Pag may namatay, look at the human being who's on the ground, what he was, who he was. Diba? Tao yan. Uh, hindi bangkay, tao. It's the same logic with the people who voted for President Duterte, who are so easily demonized as well, their statistics na uh, lahat sila dahil sa misinformation, lahat sila dahil sa bumoto kay Pangulong Duterte, dahil hindi na naintindihan ang karapatang pantao, um, it's far more complicated uh, than that. People are very, very complex. So I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to understand where they stood, their background, and what informed the decision-making. It just so happened that Quite a lot of people who would have voted for, who did vote for Rodrigo Duterte, who still believe in him, will not talk to me. It was a practical thing as well. But people who have turned, they're willing to talk. Because for them, it's an act of contrition. Na yung pagkwento nila ng storya, uh, paraan nila yun, na parang confession. And uh, I, I, I very much am grateful for the privilege of listening to them. And I think there is no way I could have written the book without hearing what they wanted to say. Because it helped me understand the, the grand mythology, the story that is Rodrigo Duterte. Mm-hmm. Well, well you're speaking of which, no? Because I, I, I also covered the drug war for our show, no? Eyewitness. Uh, I did several docus. And, and um, what was just as shocking to me, uh, you know, aside from the dead bodies, I mean, we've you know all of us in journalism we we we've seen a lot of dead bodies no pero yung uh, what was almost as traumatizing to me was yung approval of a lot of people no that this was happening no would that also shock you we go into this job thinking that if you expose wrongdoing somehow matutuwid yung wrong diba people you'll have an effect on public opinion and somehow maybe the killing will stop we want to make an impact no but when it actually got worse or the killing continued even after uh, the exposés were being done and not just by you know local journalists like us but ang daming dumating sa Pilipinas ng mga you know, journalism superstars no i mean it got some 
foreign journalist Pulitzer Prizes pa, di ba? So, ano yung reaction mo? Anong parang nakita mo na parang, ano ah, parang baliwala itong uh, ginagawa natin ah. I mean, it's not really changing anybody's minds. It's not really changing policy. It's not, I mean, you know, the, it's not stopping the killing. I didn't walk into the war naman thinking na pag nagsulat ako may magbabago. Kasi, like you, I've done this a long time. So, when I was much younger, I thought, pag sinulat ko, aba mag-iiba. Baka ang problema, hindi alam na mga tao na nangyayari. And then later on, I thought, maybe I'm not doing the story right. Maybe I should writ- have written it better or use a new medium. Or I-, I thought it was on me as well. Now that I'm older, I've learned to negotiate my expectations. I will work very hard to tell a compelling story. But I have no expectation it's going to change policy or people's minds. My only expectation is to keep a record. A good one. I hope a useful one for the future if it's necessary. And uh, as to your question of, of uh, was it shocking, the general approval? Of course, as it was to you, as it was to many of us who were journalists at the time where it was not very hard to tell these stories. Kasi hindi naman, hindi naman bago yung mga patayan. Dumaan tayong Maguindanao Massacre, dumaan tayong Mama Sapano, dumaan tayo sa Tacloban, sa, sa Compostela. Hindi tayo baguhan. Tayong dalawa, tayong lahat ng mga mamamahayag sa Pilipinas, hindi tayo baguhan sa krisis at, at trahedya. Ang bago is, uh, kasi nung kinocover natin yung mga bagay na yun, ang sasabihin ng mga tao, what a terrible thing. Diba? What can we do? To change it. It doesn't mean things change, but there's a concession for everyone that is a terrible thing. In with the beginning of the drug war, the terrible became ordinary with applause. That was the change. That was uh, what 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 people call a moral injury. Suddenly the world turned upside down, but you're standing in the same place. I think that was what was uh what was happening to a lot of us on the field. Yungulat na Only report ko na ay maganda maganda daw yung nangyari. Dapat marami pang mamatay. So you had to settle yourself into the belief that a lot of people stand in a very different place. Yan ang part 1 ng aming kwentuhan ni Patricia Evangelista. Bukas ang part 2. Abangan. <music>